one of the one of the things I like about getting older. Uh, first of all, is that I am getting older instead of just all of a sudden stopped. But um, I like watching trends that take old truths and they're rebreathed into new, more contemporary truth. Okay, and the way that's expressed. So, for instance, uh, I want to begin this morning by talking about um, a group of people who uh, have been made famous because of social media. And uh, I'm, for those of you who frequent social media, you will immediately know what I'm talking about. If you don't frequent social media, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a little reluctant to refer you to some of the stuff that I'm talking about here because the language usually gets a little bit rough. But um, so, so back to that generational thing, right? So in my generation, we had a way of referring to people who kind of lost their cool and kind of were, were um, a little bit um, nuts. And we would say, that guy or that lady has a screw loose. Remember that? So I love it when God gives me these ready illustrations, even though I already had planned for this one. Uh, I, I moved over here so I could get up quicker uh, when it was my turn, and I looked down on the carpet, and here, somebody here has lost a screw, okay? <laughs> so if yours was loose when you came in here, it's down here, all right? Actually, I'll put it right here so nobody gets it stuck in, in their shoe. Um, a screw loose. In modern terminology, and social media has made this incredibly popular, we refer to those people, okay, let me interrupt myself. If your name here is Karen, <laughs> I am not talking about you, okay? I'm, talk, I'm using social media realities here, but if your name is Karen or Kevin, then we in the old days, the, the, the people we're talking about here, uh, we, I'm not talking about you, okay? You got that? All you Karens out there, I'm not talking about you, unless you're a Karen like I'm about to talk about. Because the Karens of our day, not their real names, but the one that we assign to them, are people that in the old days we might have said has a screw loose, but these are people, so clearly Karen would be a, a female and Kevin would be a male, but in the process of that, these are people who have kind of given in to their entire societal view of how you handle yourself in public these days. And that is that everybody needs to know your opinion. And if they won't listen to your opinion, you can be as harsh and as ugly and as attacking and as dismissive of other people as people because it's your opinion and it must be right and the world needs to hear it. So we refer to those people in this day because of social media, Karens. I, I, I started to give you a couple of examples of those, but I don't think you can do it justice until you can actually like see it happening. But the idea behind all of this that I really want you to get a handle on is that the Karens and the Kevins of our day have this idea that is, I can have my way, and if you get in my way, I will totally dismiss you and attack you as a person. 
Now, they think that's justified. By the way, if you are one of those Karens or Kevins, uh, let me, for the rest of the world, let me just say, please stop. Because the idea is that this person believes that it's their right and it's their responsibility to step into a situation just because it's not what they think it ought to be. And in the process of doing that, they feel justified. Everybody else finds it deeply offensive. So let me use that to ask this question. When it comes to prayer, is it possible that the way we pray and especially the requests that we make of God may well be offensive to him? Have you ever thought about that, that, that it's possible or maybe the question we have to deal with first is, is it possible that in my prayer, when I'm just saying what I think, that God might find my request of him to be offensive? I would say that the answer to that is a resounding yes. But I know it's not enough for you to hear that just because it's my opinion, especially when we have passages of scripture like this one. I'm going to go to Matthew. You don't have to turn there, by the way. We're going to be in Genesis 25 if you want to get a head start on that. But in Matthew chapter 7, we, ha we have these, these kind of statements that we cherry pick out of scripture. You know, in other words, we, we work our way through scripture and we find these verses that seem to argue for, I can have anything from God because he gives me permission to ask. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. This is uh, this is in the Sermon on the Mount where we were last week in chapter 6. Jesus is still in that sermon. Here's what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That sounds like Jesus is saying, you just ask and I'll be your heavenly butler. Is that what he's saying? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 8 says, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? One of the ways that we abuse that passage is that we try to make it seem like a divine credit card where we can just have whatever we want. But we ignore that latter part there where Jesus is saying... You give good gifts to your kids. Count on God to give good gifts to you. And so we automatically say, because he says, I can ask, then my opinion automatically is that it's good for me. And if you're a Karen, that sounds completely logical. But not necessarily biblical, I would add. Or we could go over in Matthew chapter 21. And this is Jesus again. Chapter 21, verse 22 reads this way, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So not that I think it's a modern abuse of that passage, but there have long been those people, and especially in our day, I think, who like to take that and say, if you just have enough faith, God will give you what you want. Is that a true statement? Can you really Ask anything of God. So we're in this series now, and we're almost finished with the first mini-series. But the series is we're talking about the practices 
of our faith? What are the things that we do? Or maybe another way to look at that is what are the things that we ought to do if we want to continue to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Jesus walked with his disciples for these three plus years. And in the process of doing that, he continued to give them teachings that at the end of the day, at the end of the process, when he finally uh, ascended back to heaven after the resurrection, those disciples were much more formed by him than they were the day that he called them. And so he had them practicing some of these things. So, so that's the series that we're in. And we're starting with prayer because I think if we don't get prayer right or at least moving in the right direction, then it, uh, it, it hampers everything else, all the other practices that we have to do. Our tendency is to, to make things legalistic in our religious life. And Jesus, if he was anything at all, was for order, but his order was much different than the religious crowd had in mind. So we come back to see what, what this means for us in prayer. Is it really okay to ask anything at all? By the way, if you think I'm trying to counter those scriptures that we just read, I got a couple of more for you before it's over with that will help to offset what I just said. So we're talking now about praying in light of prayer as a positioning tool. Instead of being this this exercise that we do where we get information in front of God that maybe we think he didn't have before we told him and therefore asking for those things that we think we need. Prayer as we understand it from Jesus' own teaching in the model prayer, and we got through both parts of that last week, the first, uh, second service, we, we're gonna have to do a little bit of retreading some of it because we didn't make it all the way through. But what I want you to hear from that is that if, if we approach prayer as Jesus laid it out, it will be a positioning tool for us in our worship, but also in understanding and submitting to the sovereignty of God. And if we get either one of those things removed out of our prayer lives, then we're bound to get prayer at least a little bit wrong, if not terribly wrong. So today, let's go to Genesis chapter 25. This is one of those little passages that seems to get, that kind of slips into scripture and we, we see it when we read through our Bibles once a year, those of you who do that. And we may find it at other times, but for the most part, these little two verses that we're going to talk about, though they teach us a great deal about prayer, they also are easily overlooked by us. But I would submit to you, as I've said before, there are no throwaway verses in Scripture. There's always something in there for us. And so here's what we find, Genesis chapter 25. We're going to begin in verse 21, but here's the overview of it all. Abraham has died. And his son of promise, Isaac, now becomes the patriarch. Here's what we find, verse 21 and 22 of Genesis 25. And Isaac, and, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. 
much to be said with that, most of which would be in a different sermon. I want to come back and I want to pull apart the obvious pieces of this and underscore this prayer as an example for us and a teaching point for us about what prayer might look like for us. So knowing the nature of prayer, that is prayer positioning tool, prayer positions us for worship, prayer positions us to submit to the sovereignty of God, knowing the nature of prayer has to color how we approach God in prayer. We'll find this is consistent through scripture. Even Jesus says that. We'll look at John, uh, one of the passages in John as we close today. But, but I, I, what, what do we take from this, from these two verses? So here's the first thing, okay? Lest you think that I'm painting you into a corner about your prayers, hear this. When it comes to prayer, we ought to pray about what concerns us. That's, that's really not some uh, groundbreaking kind of truth for you, I know. Most of us kind of zero in on prayer right there all the time. I'm concerned about this. If you take your prayer list out, how, do, how does somebody make your prayer list? How, how, how might I get on your prayer list is, list is another way for me to ask that. And some of you would probably say, in a way in the world I'm praying for you. Or maybe some of you might even pray. I just wish God would see, never let me have a shirt like Elvin's because they want me to get hit in traffic. How do, you, how do you decide who makes your prayer list? And I would suggest to you that we're, we're usually pretty good about praying for what concerns us. Isaac provides that example for us here. I, I've already said that Isaac is the new patriarch. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 5 says this. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Abraham, this one that God selected to be the father of many nations, this one who proved to be faithful, this one who God blessed in multitudes of ways, even though he failed in his faith from time to time, Abraham is known as the father of the faith. And that one, as he moves to that last part of his life, takes all that he has amassed and he gives it to his son Isaac. And then verse 25, chapter 25, verse 8, it says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. And Isaac now moves into the spotlight of the history of faith. It's a significant thing. But, but what might Isaac have learned from his dad? I, I'm not so concerned about all of the riches and the flocks and all of those things that he got from his dad. I want to know, what do you think Isaac learned from his dad about God's plan? Because Abraham clearly lived that last part of his life following God's plan for his life. Not just God's plan for his life, but God's plan ultimately for your life. So what do you think Isaac knew about that? I was having a conversation with somebody not too long ago, this past week, and we were talking about some particular elements of everyday life. And the comment hit the table, and it was my comment, so I'm not betraying a confidence here, but, but I, I talked about, you know, my dad 
as I got older and as I worked with him for a number of years on the church staff, and then even in those, that, those waning years of his life when dementia began to take over, I, I would have conversations with him about things, church life, you know, leadership, some of those kind of things. And it dawned on me as I did that, that my dad had this incredible depth of wisdom in a particular area of life, and he never intentionally taught that to me or to my brother. I'm sure he had his reasons, but many of those things I just had to learn for myself. Now, I probably learned them better because I had to have the scars that I'm sure he must have had to learn what he knew. But the truth of the matter is we all know a lot. If you have children at all, uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you hope, okay, those of you who have young children. You can look at me and a number of others in here, and you can have hope that sooner or later those kids will leave home. <laughs> but you need to know as a young parent that you have this much time to teach them. Because when they get out of that much time, they might listen to you as college students. Let me rephrase that. They might call you every once in a while as a college student. But you have the opportunity for daily lessons with them. It's one of the reasons I think children's ministry is so important in the church. What do you think Isaac learned from his dad? Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Let's go to that. Imagine, imagine the conversations that Isaac and Abraham had after they came off of the mountain in Moriah, where God had said to Abraham, take your son up there, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him. Every father in the building has had a moment where you wanted to sacrifice a kid. <laughs> but that's not what this was. Isaac was old enough to know exactly what was going on. How do you think that conversation went on the way down the mountain? I, I gotta tell you, okay? I'm, I'm not Isaac, but I think I might have had a little PTSD over that deal. How do you, as a father, how do you tell your son what was going on there? Isaac must have learned something that day. I would consider also, based on that one event, you know the story. I don't have time to go back and read it, but you know the story well enough to know that Abraham followed that through all to, right up to the point of actually sacrificing his son. Laid on an altar, ready to sacrifice. And God stopped him and provided a ram stuck in the bush. What do you think that taught Isaac about God's supply and demand plan? I, I think, we don't know, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit here, but I'm gonna read on top of the line now and let you know that when it comes right down to it and Isaac has something that concerns him here, and that is that his wife cannot conceive of a child. And so in that, Isaac takes that prayer to God. I have to believe that in the back of his mind, at least maybe the front of his mind, Isaac understood that when God needs to supply something, he's right on time every time. And so he takes the concern. By the way, that a that what I just said is a tremendous lesson in living by faith. It affects your finances. It affects the way you approach 
people and your job. God is always right on time in his time. So you don't have to manipulate your way through life. You don't have to use people on your way through life. If you trust God, he'll get you there in his time. I think Isaac had to learn something because what we find here is here's a problem and he takes it to God and the request apparently is that his wife would conceive. Little wonder that he prayed that way given his experience with God. So how about you? Let's go back to your prayer list. How do you choose what gets on there? And the answer is, at least partially, you pray about what concerns you. And that's a good thing to do, I think. So there's a principle in that. Pay attention to yourself. I know that probably seems like one of those, well, duh. But I, I think you pay attention to yourself when it comes to your prayer life. What really troubles you? Is, are, are you troubled about the surface level? Are you troubled about the spiritual health level? Okay, I, I still say you pray about what concerns you, but there's probably room for some depth in what concerns you. How many of us have on our lists more concerns about the spiritual condition of people that we love than about their physical health. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for physical health. I'm just telling you, there's more there. So you pray about what concerns you and nothing is off limits, but you start there. That's not the end, okay? As much as you thought maybe I was wrapping up this sermon, I'm not, okay? That's where you start in prayer. Let me just say, by the way, back to you parents and the rest of us, that Rebecca seems to have learned something from Isaac. Did you catch that in verse 23, I think it is? Uh, verse 22, uh, the children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Okay, husbands and wives, those of you who are husbands and wives in here, you should sharpen one another in your spiritual growth. Okay? I know that there is that flavor of thought, even especially these days among some Baptists, uh, that would say that husband is the only one who has any kind of spiritual say-so in the house. There's a theological term for that. It's hogwash. You sharpen one another in your spiritual growth. And so apparently Isaac has uh, kind of rubbed off a little bit on Rebecca here. And so she goes and asks the Lord, I love her prayer. You catch that? Or not necessarily her prayer. Well, it is her prayer. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? All right, so that means one of two things, I think. The first one may well be the one that many mothers are really good at. Lord, why me? Okay, you ever pray that because of your kids? If you haven't, stay tuned. Story's not finished. Why me? Or, God, where are you in this? It's a great prayer. 
So let me wrap up this point. We need to let our life situations drive us to prayer. But we cannot forget, I'm going to start layering some truths now after three weeks of this. But we need to let those life situations drive us to God. But we need to keep in mind what prayer is all about when we do that. I was not long out of high school, working in the oil fields in Odessa or around Odessa. And one of my high school buddies had gotten kicked out of his house. Uh, his mother wouldn't let him live there anymore. And so I thought it'd be a great idea if he li- moved in with me because I had a big uh, place and um, because he didn't have any anger issues, neither did I. So it must have been a great idea. <laughs> and uh, so in this, we, we got, we, I was happened to be living in a trailer uh, out, way out west in Odessa at that time. And so he got one end, I got the other. He worked nights, I worked days, so passed every once in a while. But uh, and then because the trailer didn't have any heat, when it got to be wintertime and I came home from work and there was a pile of snow in the living room, I decided I might want to look for a different place. So we moved to a different place and it uh, wasn't long before they invited us to find another place to live. And so we were looking for a place to live and he went to the college Sunday school teacher at our church where my dad was pastor. I would have never gone to her because I would have never gone to anybody even remotely attached to church in those days. But he went to her and her her comment was this. I'm so proud of you two guys because a measure of one's spiritual maturity is the length of time it takes them to go from here's my problem to God, where are you in this problem? Okay, that sounds good. And I think she meant well. But through the years, I've modified what she said to say maybe a measure of, um, maybe a measure of, maybe that is a measure of our desperation more than it's a measure of our spiritual maturity. How long does it take you to go from, boom, there's a need, to God, I need help with this? And my encouragement to you is shorten the distance between those. When you're confronted with something that concerns you, take it to God because he cares about that. Let's take another step here. This is the one that I don't want you to misinterpret, okay? So let me say it, but give me a a few minutes to uh, justify for you what I mean. You take to God what, what concerns you, but pray appropriately, We go back to Isaac in verse 21 here and see what he has to say. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So what do we get appropriate out of that? Isaac was praying that God would supply the need, which is for his wife to conceive. But what was Isaac's did I say Isaiah? What was Isaac's position in that promise that God gave to Abraham? Go back through, go back and read that whole thing if you need to do that. Start with chapter 12 and go all the way through to where we are here. But God's choice for the next patriarch was clearly Isaac. 
And so the question has to be asked if his wife won't conceive and he's the one through whom this blessing and the father of many nations was going to travel, then him not having a child was just as big a problem as it was for Abraham not able to have a child. So the prayer that he prays here is 100% within the will and the plan of God. Now that's a great question for us on how we pray. Can you confidently say that everything that you pray for, if you have a prayer list, every time you pray off of that prayer list, you are 100% in line with what God's plan is for that person. That's tough to do. It's not impossible, but it's tough. And if we're not paying attention to that, then it leads us into this idea that seems to say, well, if I'm praying for it, it's because God allowed me to do that and it must be okay. And then we cover that sometimes by saying, well, so God, if it's your will, maybe the better prayer is, God, only your will. But see, you gotta trust God to be able to do what he wants to do in that. So let me layer a little bit. I, uh, I love German chocolate cake. Should be no surprise to you. Uh, and I cook German chocolate cakes. So when our kids were growing up, uh, I, I'm the one who would make German chocolate cakes for their birthdays because that's what my mom did for me. And I thought I was pretty good at that. But I have a sister-in-law. She's good at everything she does. It's my brother's wife. Not that my other sister-in-laws aren't the same, but my brother's wife, she, she's incredible. Everything she puts her, her hands to, it's, it's, a, it's a great success. And so we were at their house one time, and she made a German chocolate cake, and I retired from making them because of that. <laughs> Susan is an amazing follower of Jesus Christ, and he has gifted her in so many ways, but especially in the kitchen. <laughs> and so my German chocolate cakes are, you know, Okay, but hers comes out and it's layered, you know. So you got all these layers and you got that gooey goodness. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to have them in heaven or not, but I'd like an explanation. Um, so I want to use that idea to, to layer some truths here. Okay, talk about a praying, praying appropriately. So first, we find that Isaac prays in line with the will of God because he's got to have an heir if he's going to be the guy that God called him to be. Totally appropriate prayer. Secondly, the promise was to be a father of many nations, and that underscores again, this is something that fits what God is talking about, and the principle that we draw from that is that we need to, two principles, we need to pray in line with what God is doing and wants to do, and if we're going to pray in line with what he wants, then we have to know what he wants, or at least partially so. You're not ever going to get the full plan of God. You can't handle it, okay? But, but we know enough that as we're praying for people, we can pray in line with what he wants, and in the process of doing that, submit to the sovereignty of God in that. Okay. This is the message from last week. So now we begin to layer those truths on one another and it moves us to worship in prayer because at the end of the day, I can't, Joe, I could be praying for you and never have the opportunity to fix that cancer problem that God fixed. But he, in his, I told him when he came off stage, I said, you just preached my sermon for today. 
Because his point of reference was, all right, if this is what I have, okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think I heard this. If this is my condition, God, I need help with that. Pray about what concerns you, okay? But in the process of that, he submitted himself to the sovereignty of God and said, even if you don't heal me, I will this. And God moved. What a tremendous testimony. We praise the Lord with you, brother. But you have to know what God wants. So the listening prayer that we talked about is a critical component in all of this. You have to be able to discern his voice. So let me give you a question or two. I'll, I'll finish here. Here's a filter for your prayer requests. In light of what we're talking about with all of this, here's the first filter. It's a question. Two questions, really. If God grants my prayer, will it deepen my trust and commitment to him or damage it? Another way to ask that is, is this request in line with God's character? James chapter 4 helps us here. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 reads this way. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, that sounds like the ones that I read at the beginning of this, right? But then verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So can you just ask anything? I think the answer to that is yes, you can ask just anything, but it is possible to ask something that is offensive to God. The way not to offend God is, or one way, is not to pray for things that he is trying to address in somebody's life. And then we close with Jesus. John 15, verse 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The, the if, the two-letter word, is huge at the beginning of that. If you abide in me and if my words abide in you. In other words, if you're living according to the plan of God, taking on the character of Christ, in submission to him and in worship of him at all times, you can ask what you want, but you would never dream of asking something that wasn't his plan. So what we just did is we raised the bar in our prayer lives. So what are you praying for these days? What kind of salvation concerns do you have for people? We have a ready-made application of this for you today. In a couple of weeks, Franklin Graham is coming through on his border frontier tour. I kind of hate to call it a tour, but it's essentially what it is. He calls it that. And he's going to be at the Don Haskins Arena over here. And he doesn't want you to go. I mean, he's okay if you go. He wants lost people there so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you praying that somebody might come to know Jesus Christ 
Is that, does that make it on your prayer list anywhere with any kind of importance or emphasis? So Eduardo's got some little cards. They may even be in your pew. I don't know. But uh, who are you praying for? And are you praying you care enough about them as opposed to somebody's bunion on their toe that they might be drawn by God into that meeting where a famous preacher tells about the simple story of God's rescue plan for them. I hope that you'll do that and get them there. And I hope there's no room for you because so many lost people are there to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's easy for us to just kind of get wrapped up the path of least resistance when it comes to prayer and let the, the hard work of prayer go by the wayside. Give us hearts that ache to hear your voice and a desire to follow you closely and the freedom to ask because we know that we're walking with you enough to be appropriate in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing invitation. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Make my life my life teach me lord make my life